Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. You know, those kind of series of pivots and sort of overcoming that fear of making a complete change and what I was doing has led me to where I am now, which is, you know, the most fulfilling and satisfying job I've ever had. My name is Spree Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hi, my name is Samantha, and I'm a visibility strategist at Samantha Diane CO. I've just started listening to The Women in Tech podcast recently, and with each episode, I feel a sense of empowerment, inspiration. I really enjoy hearing the stories of women from all around the world who are innovating and who are leading in an industry that's typically thought of to be male dominated. I can always count on the Women in Tech podcast to give me that little bit of inspiration that I need to push myself just a little bit further. You can connect with me on Instagram at samanthadiane.co. If you too want to connect and collaborate with more incredible women in tech, remember you can go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup looking to grow your podcast audience, I created GetPodcastListeners.com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out GetPodcastListeners.com. That's GetPodcastListeners.com. Okay, so I know we've been doing a bunch of blasts from the past, and I hope you've been enjoying them. I know our guests, like, love it when we do one of these, like, beautiful re-celebrates, and it's been really fun. We're going back to the regularly scheduled new episodes soon, so get ready. If there's anybody that you're like, oh, my gosh, I wish you had so-and-so person on the show, definitely message me at Esprit Devora on any social. Let me know and we'll see what we can do for you. We have like a crazy wait list to be on the shows, but you never know. I do produce so many episodes. So yeah, just reach out at Esprit Devora on all social and we'll see if we can make magic happen. All right, well, enjoy this next episode. women in tech around the world. Today we have Catherine from San Francisco. Welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Of course. Catherine, why don't we kick things off? Go ahead. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, definitely. So my name is Catherine Smith and I'm a product manager on YouTube TV. Uh, so for those who aren't familiar, uh, YouTube TV is a premium paid subscription product that gives you access to all your favorite TV content like ABC, NBC, Fox, CBS, 
ESPN, Bravo, HGTV, and more across all your devices. So across your smart TVs, your computer, your phone. And specifically, I work on the core experience there, which includes everything from the personalized recommendations on every subscriber's home feed to the player controls while you're watching a video. And I also focus a lot on how to optimize the TV experience for people watching sports. And that's a big part of why people love live TV. When did you start in your journey of technology? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I I can't remember any one moment, but my entire childhood was really full of science and tech. So it sort of always felt inevitable to me. My parents were in healthcare and my grandfather was really mechanically inclined. He was always building new gadgets. I remember growing up, you know, I always heard about how he built a gyroscope that was used in the lunar lander um, in the Apollo missions. And as a pet project, he built a color TV right when they were first invented. You know, it's funny, I actually found one of his business cards recently from about five decades ago, and his job title was product manager. I didn't even know that was a thing five decades ago. Uh, But I guess now, yeah. That's so cool. It was awesome. So now I'm carrying on his legacy as a product manager that's building TV. And like, what was your first, like, where did you go to school? Did you study for being a product manager? How did you parlay becoming interested in the world of technology and science into the profession that you're in today? Yeah, you know, I I didn't know until pretty recently that I wanted to be a product manager. I didn't really know what that was. I was always really interested in in physics and in building things. So when I was going to college, I I thought about um, studying mechanical engineering. So I did that. I went to Johns Hopkins University and, you know, a lot of things at Johns Hopkins sort of have a, have a medical tilt to them. So, you know, even though I was studying mechanical engineering, I ended up getting really involved with a lot of research in surgical robotics and haptics and biomechanics and ended up working for four years as a product development and manufacturing engineer in the medical device space. So I did that for quite a while and It was only after I left that and and went to business school and I started my transition into tech and then started working at Google after my MBA. What inspired the transition into tech? I mean, even to go back to business school, like what was that day that you were in medical sales and you're like, no, I want to go to business school and I think I want to put my life on a different path. Did you have a moment like, is that what happened? Yeah, I, you know, as I mentioned, I, I really always love designing and building things. That's always been something I've been really passionate about. It was awesome building things in in the medical device space. You know, we were designing the metallic plates, rods, and screws that fix broken bones. So for people that have part of their jaw resected or break their leg, we were we were helping to repair it. And it was it was really satisfying work. But unfortunately that industry is so heavily regulated that it takes years for an idea to actually turn into reality and impact a person. And it was just frustrating for me. You know, I wanted a much quicker turnaround from sort of idea to being able to push something out into the world. And that's when tech started becoming more and more appealing, knowing that there's, you know, such a a quick turnaround and you can really launch products a lot faster. I didn't have any experience in that. I didn't quite know how to make that transition or even what job I would do. And that's why I decided to take a step back and start my MBA so that you know, I would have two years of space to one, just meet a ton of awesome people that have had different careers in tech, figure out, you know, what they do, what's possible. And then, you know, also get the opportunity to build up some some skills, some business and management skills that I, I was lacking at the time to really kind of kickstart that, that transition over into tech. Can you walk us through what your role looks like today, day to day? Yeah, it can vary quite a bit depending on the stage of the features that I'm working on. I've been at YouTube TV for four years. So that started about a year before we publicly launched. And now we have over 
2 million subscribers. So it's quite a different day-to-day job now than it was four years ago when we were in, in stealth mode. But you know, generally, I spend most of my time with our UX and engineering counterparts to figure out how we can further improve the existing product experience to better meet our users' needs and our, our business goals. So at one end of the spectrum, this can mean sitting in someone's living room on their couch, watching them watch TV and seeing, getting their feedback, right? Seeing what works for them, seeing what doesn't work, you know, what they're frustrated with, what could be better. The other side of that is, you know, trying to clearly and concisely define and document those product requirements and balance the needs of our our subscribers, our content partners, um, and also just take advantage of the engineering firepower we have at Google and YouTube to really sort of take TV to the next level. I'm curious, you said, and I've heard this often in tons of companies that, you know, it was one kind of lifestyle at the company uh, in your role in the beginning when it was starting out an idea. And now it's it's like a completely different role because it's grown to, you said over 2 million users, right? Mm-hmm. Can you walk us through a little bit about what that was like for you in transitioning in your thought process? Because probably I imagine had to adapt how you interacted with the role and how you thought about your role from when you first started to like where it is now. Is that accurate? Yeah, definitely. I think quite a bit has changed and I'm still working through it. You know, it's constantly trying to to figure out what your new situation is and, and adapt and, and try to grow in that role. It's one thing I love about the role, right? I, I haven't gotten bored at all. I've been there four years sort of doing the same job, but the job hasn't been the same at all. You know, early days we were really just defining, you know, what would it mean to build a new TV service from scratch, right? TV in a lot of ways has been the same for forever. A lot of people, you know, have the same cable box sitting in their living room, probably for the last, I don't know, seven or eight years, uh, nothing on it has changed. So, you know, early days, it was a lot of, a lot of ideating, figuring out, you know, how is Google and how is YouTube kind of uniquely positioned to solve this big problem? In a lot of ways, we were naive, right? We didn't, we hadn't been, you know, entrenched in this legacy media industry, right? That has so many rules written and unwritten. And so that was really great in a lot of ways because, you know, we didn't have any preconceived notions about what had to exist and and the way to do things. Um, But it also meant, you know, sometimes we would run into roadblocks that we weren't quite expecting. Uh, It was also great because, you know, we could, as they say, move fast and break things. We didn't have paying subscribers at the time. So you could really make changes very, very quickly, test things out. If they don't work, you can change them. I think the difference now is, you know, we have 2 million people paying us you know, $50 a month every month. And that's not, you know, a small amount of, of money. People for that, you know, expect a really premium service that just works and is reliable and gives them what they want. And so you can't really afford to break things anymore. So you have to be a lot more sort of careful and meticulous with with how you create change. You know, I think also I mentioned before, people are accustomed to TV, their TV cable box being the exact same thing for years and years and years. So also as we're, you know, in the tech world, launching things constantly, always adapting the experience that can be strained for people that aren't used to it. So you're always having to kind of balance those two things, continuing to innovate and continuing to, to launch better and better experiences, but, but not doing so in a way that hurts people's experience. Totally. One of the other interviews I had with someone at YouTube, and I think that you kind of brought it up as well. It seems like YouTube's a company that really helps enable you to foster change. It gives you the platform to really 
and I don't mean to slightly empower a global community in ways that you wouldn't have access to otherwise. Like, how do you use your role in order to impact that change to does that make sense how I'm asking it I just thought it was a really interesting they were like no really like I would not be able to do this if I didn't work at this company I'm like okay I believe you (laughs) yeah it's so true it's definitely one of the things I love about working at YouTube I think on the one hand we are extremely empowered to to make decisions and just have a stellar, stellar group of people that work there that can actually, you know, physically make those changes, just incredible designers, you know, incredible engineers that if you think about, you know, what what change you want to make, people can actually execute on it. There's really nobody telling you to not dream big, which is exciting. You know, you don't have to to box yourself in, which I absolutely love that. I think the the other piece of that puzzle is to me, one of the things I love about YouTube is that it's so people centric. So everything from, you know, the millions of people creating videos on YouTube over to sort of the, I'd say the deep empathy that all the PMs and engineers and designers kind of feel for the people that use our products. It's really energizing. And I think that when you're operating a product at the scale of Google, I think it can be really easy to sort of lose touch with those individual people that are are using your product at the end. You know, when there's millions and billions of people using it, you know, there's not quite that one-to-one connection. I find quite the opposite is true at at YouTube. I think everybody is really connected with those end users, the people who are are interacting with our products day to day, that I think we're able to interpret what people need and, and what change they're seeking. And then, you know, be able to use the really brilliant people at the company to actually implement that change. One of my favorite examples of this is that we have a a bunch of our engineers that are are so passionate about you know making sure that we have this great user experience on YouTube TV that they spend their free time on uh, the YouTube TV subreddit and on Twitter and they're finding individual questions or little problems that people have it's it's amazing go check it out there they're kind of all over there and they respond one-on-one to to our users, answer their questions. They'll go in and fix their problems in the code and then come back and report like, hey, your, your problem's fixed. No way. That is really awesome. <laughs> it's really cool to see. And I think that culture has spread where, you know, everybody feels like you just need to be in touch with, with the people that are using our product. One, it makes a better product. And then two, it just creates an awesome culture where you don't feel like, you know, we're some some big tech company that's, you know, far away from from the people who are using it. Totally. Well, that is so cool. I'm glad you shared that. It actually is completely in alignment with other conversations I've had today. So it was really, it was really nice. One of my favorite questions I like to ask is what's one huge obstacle you've successfully overcome and how did you overcome it in your profession, in your career? Yeah, I think one, one challenge is that I didn't really know what quite I wanted to do. I've sort of always had job FOMO where I was always a bit scared to commit to one thing because I thought that that would close doors to other things. Mm, totally. So I think progressively through my career, I've, I've sort of always, both one, when I picked my major, I thought that mechanical engineering was probably the broadest possible engineering that I could pick at the time. Probably should have picked computer science in retrospect, but I, I picked mechanical engineering and I thought, great, I can decide later if I want to be an aerospace engineer or if I want to you know, work in biomechanics or if I want to design baby strollers. Like, There's lots of options, so this is great. And then you know, I, I started actually in college going down a path working in a research lab where we were doing surgical robotics research. And 
I spent, you know, four years every summer of college there and was kind of getting down this narrow and narrower path. And everybody I was working with had PhDs in mechanical engineering and were working on this day in and day out. And I sort of just felt myself on this path kind of traveling along. And I got scared because I wasn't sure that that's what I wanted to do. And it felt like such a big commitment to decide to do, you know, a PhD after undergrad when I wasn't sure if I would like it. And it was really sort of scary to pivot away from that. But I got myself off that train and, and sort of went in a different but related direction, you know, where I, I switched over to, to doing the medical device stuff, which, which felt, again, a bit more broad working at a company and sort of learning more general product development skills. But then also sort of started to feel a bit closed in and that I was on this this one track and I, I could see from, you know, my mentors at the company and, and seeing the, you know, leaders there that that was my future. And if I stayed on this track and I sort of panicked again, where it's like, oh, I don't know that I want that to be my day to day. That seems kind of awful, you know, really exciting and great in some ways, but also, you know, I don't know that that's for me and really had to kind of pull that ripcord and, and pivot in a different direction again. And, you know, those kind of series of pivots and sort of overcoming that fear of making a complete change and what I was doing has led me to where I am now, which is, you know, the most fulfilling and satisfying job I've ever had. And I, you know, if I had knew when I was 18, that this is where I wanted to end up, there's no way I would have ended up here. I would not have taken the path I took and I probably wouldn't have landed here. So it ended up being a, a great thing, but just sort of overcoming that fear of sort of making these abrupt changes was definitely a challenge. So interesting. You speak to so many people. I have a close friend who's so concerned that her plan has been thrown off. <laughs> and like, this is a testament that it's not about like having the plan and sticking it in the, it be working out exactly like you ended up in your dream job because everything went a different direction. <laughs> yeah, completely, completely. I think, you know, one of the things that made me feel better about this was my grandmother was a nurse for, for many, many years. And when she turned 50, she decided that she wanted to become a pilot. So she just went out and became a pilot instead, which there's no, I guess, time limit on when you can make these changes. And you can always sort of make these, these pivots. And I think it takes a little bit of trial and error to figure out what works for you. And especially because, you know, a lot of jobs don't even exist yet that will. A lot of companies don't exist yet that will. And so it's tough to know where you're aiming if where you're aiming doesn't exist yet. So taking a lot of trial and error and kind of working your way there, I think, is probably the best, best path. Can you tell me a little bit about the mentors who have helped foster your career and push you forward throughout your journey? Stick around. We'll be right back after the break. We would not be able to support and celebrate women in tech around the world if it weren't for you. Thank you so much for being a listener and a fan of the show. To contribute and donate, simply go to womenintech.fm on the upper right-hand side and click Donate, which empowers us to continue celebrating women in tech around the world. Thank you for being a part of our journey. Can you tell me a little bit about the mentors who have helped foster your career and push you forward throughout your journey? Yeah, I've been fortunate to have a few great mentors and sponsors throughout my career. You know, I think some of the best advice that they have given me has really been what kind of propelled me to, to jump to something new. My favorite things that I've learned from, from these mentors. So one was when I was in college. It was the professor that that hired me to work in her lab when I was a freshman with with no skills. And all I really wanted to do was 
you know, be able to fill a line on a, a resume that I was writing for a technical writing class. I was like, oh no, I don't have anything to put on my resume. Let me join this lab. And I, I joined this lab. She hired me. And she she really provided a ton of guidance throughout those four years, gave me an opportunity to to move to Japan for a summer and really showed me exactly what a life getting a PhD and, and that sort of work, exactly what that would look like. And you know, that was able to to teach me that, you know what, this isn't what I want. And she was able to to really make that that clear for me and help me as I decided to move on and do something something else. And then the next one I, I came across was you know, when I was working at the medical device company, I had this fantastic mentor who was an executive in the in the operations and manufacturing org. And she gave me some great rotations, great job opportunities while I was there. And also was similarly able to showcase what my career there would look like if I stayed on that track. You know, I, I knew kind of what my path forward would be and what my day-to-day would look like. And and she just helped me illuminate that and and call out things that, you know, maybe I would like and maybe the things that I would and wouldn't like. That really enabled me to to clearly decide that, you know what, this isn't this isn't for me. I think I need to to make another pivot, which is what helped me decide to go to business school. You know, I think she despite it probably being in her best interest to keep me around and encourage me to stay. She was hugely supportive of, again, pushing me out of the nest and, and letting me go do something else. What advice would you give your 18-year-old self? And you kind of spoke to this already, but I actually want to get in the motion of like asking this. I just think it's so cool. Like yourself right out of school. either It could be right out of high school or right out of college, like one of those transition points. Yeah, great question. I think... What I would say is always take the coolest, most interesting opportunity available to you at any time, or even work to create these cool opportunities. I've sort of done that a few times. The first one was when I was doing research in undergrad, the lab I worked in, they gave me the opportunity to move to Japan for a summer and work in a lab there. And this was the the summer between my junior and senior year of college. You know, I had all these plans with all my friends and how we were going to spend that summer and doing a complete pivot and, you know, moving to Japan instead and working there. It was scary, but it ended up being a really, really enriching experience. I learned a lot and I'm really grateful that I took it. And I think that experience also helped me, you know, a bit on my resume when I was applying for jobs after college, I was applying for an engineering rotation program. And so what that would mean is, you know, I'd bounce, spend about 10 months in a bunch of different roles in product development and manufacturing, both in the U.S. and abroad. And so the fact that I'd already had that international work experience because I'd I'd sort of jumped at that opportunity before, it really helped me be better qualified for this job that I was I was trying to get. And so I ended up taking on that role, bouncing around quite a bit for, for four years, you know, moved all over the U.S., moved to Switzerland for a year. And it's a bit disruptive to your life, but I think in your early 20s is the time to do it. And that ended up just being an incredible experience to learn how things just work in different countries, to learn how how people work differently. And so happy that I, I sort of jumped at that opportunity, even though it was a bit scary. Yeah, I think, you know, again, what I, what I said before, even if it doesn't seem like it's directly on that path that you planned, like if it seems cool, if it seems exciting, go for it because it might help you discover this entirely new path that you didn't know was there. I love it. And to that, what is the best advice that you've gotten from someone else? Oh, that's a great question. I think it's not one specific piece of advice, but I think it's sort of the one of the mantras at, at Google is just really focus on the user. 
and you know everything else will will work out and i've really tried to embody that quite a bit in my time you know spending a lot of time with our our user research teams and really speaking to our end users figuring what people want like what they have great ideas you know the, the people who subscribe to our product they have awesome ideas like i can only come up with so many ideas myself and and relying on others and, and sort of crowdsourcing this has has worked out really really well so really focusing on the people who are using the products and solving their needs first and foremost. Completely. By the way, how can people connect with you? Are you on LinkedIn? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, I am on LinkedIn. Catherine Smith at works at YouTube. You can dig me up there. Um, can you spell your name for everybody? Yes, it is Catherine, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N Smith. That should be easy. S-M-I-T-H, short and sweet. And I am also on Twitter at CatLS. Um, you can reach out to me there too. Always happy to chat to people. And remember cat with a K. Okay. A couple quick fire questions. What is your favorite tech tool? Can be mobile app, website, hardware, anything, software. Yeah. My favorite tech tool lately, I think in shelter in place, it's a fitness app. It's called future and they match you with a real life personal trainer. And that person, um, puts together workouts for you. And then they sort of guide you through your workouts with audio and visual cues. And then they also text you every day to motivate you to go exercise. It's amazing. What's the URL? Future? It's future.fit. All right. All right. That is is where I'm going. It is the only thing that has kind of kept me motivated while locked inside the house. And then your favorite book? Oh, my favorite book is Ender's Game. I probably read it about 10 times, starting when I think I was nine. Tell us a little bit about what it's about. Ender's Game is a sci-fi novel where a young kid is basically groomed to become the savior for all humankind after an alien race is coming to attack Earth. And so it's a really great story about how a lot of kids kind of come together to be the savior of humankind. And there's all sorts of parallel books and, and sequels that are all equally uh, equally engaging. Awesome. And I like to ask, have you been on a podcast before? No, this is my first one. First time. (laughs) I just think it is so inspiring whenever I hear that, which is about 99% of the interviews, which blows my mind. And the reason I like to ask that is one, I don't like to make assumptions, but I also just think it's really empowering for everybody to hear that like you could be really seasoned in your career and, you know, there is always a place for you to like I don't know. I just I hope that everybody listening to this show ends up like poaching my guests so that they could have even more opportunities and be more elevated. I just think it's so cool. Was there anything that you wanted to share that we didn't cover? One of my favorite things about my my current job is that my leadership has been really supportive in letting me figure out, you know, what part of the the product that I want to work on and in addition to you know, my career in tech and that always being a passion of mine. I've always also been really passionate about sports. And I've had the opportunity now because it was interesting to me to really focus in and take ownership of the sports area on YouTube TV. And one, I'm incredibly grateful that I was able to do that. But, you know, just by sort of putting my interests forward and and telling people that, hey, I like this thing. I want to work on this. That sort of unlocked that opportunity to to really be able to marry one of my personal hobbies 
which is, you know, sports and then also my job. And I never thought that that would be possible before that, that I would ever have a career in that sort of field. That's probably been one of the most rewarding parts of, of working on YouTube TV has been the ability to start innovating how people watch sports and building out new features to let people engage with, with the games that they're watching. Definitely been a really, really fulfilling part of my career and also, I think, a great part of the, the YouTube TV experience. I love it. I love it. So from all the career paths that you've been on, were there any specific skills that you acquired during those careers that you brought on specifically and you apply now at YouTube? Yeah, I'll give an example of my second day on the job. The very start of my career, I had just graduated college and I was a product development engineer working on basically the metal plates to repair bones in your face. And on my second day on the job, so I'm just sort of figuring out, you know, what it means to go to work and, you know, how do I badge into the building and all of these sort of day one, day two things. And I end up in an OR with a surgeon who's testing one of our products. And he asked me, he's like, hey, do you want to do you want to get involved? You're new here. Why don't you get your hands dirty and had me in there on my second day of work holding all these medical tools, holding, you know, handing him tools to use and literally got my hands dirty on the second day of my job. And I was terrified of messing up. Um, at one point, you know, he's got a chisel and I'm swinging this, this mallet and, you know, I could bash this famous surgeon's hands right there and I'm, I'm shaking and it was terrifying, but it ended up, you know, really making me excited to continue getting my hands dirty in sort of all aspects of my job and not being afraid to sort of get in there and really figuring out the kind of nitty gritty of, of what's going on. I think that case definitely made me more confident going forward in you know how I interacted with our customers, with our partners, and not being afraid to, you know, even though I'm new, even though I feel like I don't know what I'm doing, just getting involved and in, in experiencing things firsthand is a really great way to learn. I love it. Last question. We have so many people around the world listening to this interview right now. If there was one thing that we could all do as a collective community to support you in your success and accelerating forward, what would that one ask be? And you can't ask for something that helps other people. This has to be an ask for something that helps you. I get so many people that say, I just want people to take better care of themselves. I'm like, no, this is about you. I wish that everybody would brag about themselves a bit more. I wish that everybody would put out into the world, like, this is what I'm good at. This is what I love doing. Like, notice me, notice these things. And I think for me, selfishly, of course, I want other people to know what my skills are, what I'm, what I'm good at and what I like to do. But also, it's great for me. It's easier to figure out who to connect with, you know, who I would want to bring onto my team, right? When I know what people think that their sort of best skills are. It's so true. But you know, I'm going to put you on the spot now, right? <laughs> We're going to end this interview with a brag. I want you to brag about yourself. I am very good at building things and just executing on anything that, you know, I sort of dream up. So I'll give you an example. I decided one Halloween, I was a little bit bored. I hadn't been sort of doing any engineering work lately. And I decided that I wanted to build a fully robotic R2-D2 costume. Um, I was always a big Star Wars fan. And so I built a motorized head. I whipped out my sewing machine and sewed a whole costume all together and dressed up for Halloween as a fully robotic R2-D2. 
I love it. It's so cool. Catherine, thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. Like you used the word energizing earlier in the interview and you're very energizing to talk to you. So I really appreciate you sharing your love, your talent, your time with Women in Tech and listeners around the world to connect and collaborate with more extraordinary women in tech. Remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. Takes you straight there. That's womenintechvip.com. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Bye. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Catherine Smith. I work at Google as a product manager on YouTube TV, which is a paid premium subscription product that provides access to all your favorite live TV content across all your favorite devices. I'm based in San Francisco, California. You're listening to Women in Tech. Hi, this is Arlen Hamilton, author of It's About Damn Time, How to Turn Being Underestimated into Your Greatest Advantage. And you're listening to We Are LA Tech. I feel so grateful I've had the privilege of getting an advanced copy of Arlen Hamilton's new book, It's About Dan Time. She is one of the most inspiring venture capitalists I've ever come across. Her story from having absolutely nothing and being completely broke to being one of the most influential venture capitalists in the world blows my mind. And her book is insanely well-written. Right when I picked it up, I didn't want to put it down. She teaches me and us how to become the asset, how to be our best selves, and how to be a person that not only creates opportunity for ourselves, but creates an abundance of opportunity for others. I'm so proud to share her book with you, and I hope you'll pick it up. And I know for sure you'll be just as riveted as I was with each page you turned. Get It's About Damn Time at itsaboutdamntime.com. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. Community spotlight coordination by Sarah Tran. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.